Pray a moment, please. Lord, thanks this morning that your grace would always precede us, that your grace would fill all that we do, that we would build our life upon you and your love. Holy Spirit, would you open up our hearts and minds to Jesus? Would you open up the scriptures that we might see him? Would you open up my words that they might be filled with him? Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. We continue today in our sermon series called The Story Money Tells, and we've been looking over these past few weeks at people who encountered God, encountered Jesus along the ways, and the way that that encounter with God, with Jesus, affected their lives, and particularly the way it affected their money and their possessions. Today we come to a pretty familiar story for many of us, at least I think if you grew up in church or you grew up in Sunday school, the story of Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19. If you did grow up in Sunday school or you grew up in a house where songs were sung, you probably know Zacchaeus' song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see I'm pretty sure that was written by a Scotsman, because like, who calls people we little men, right? <laughs> I, I don't know. I've not researched the uh, etymology of the, of the children's hymn, but the context of this story that is familiar, and that sometimes can make it something we rush past. Um, hopefully, the Lord will open it up in a way today that your heart doesn't rush past it. The context is that Jesus is passing through Jericho, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. This will be his last trip through Jericho. It will be his last trip to Jerusalem prior to the cross. Jesus is on his way to the cross as he goes through this town. Now, what's happening is he's going through the town of Jericho. It's really the, this dusty place uh, at the foothills on the way towards Jerusalem up a pass is that crowds are all around him. That's what was happening at this point in his ministry. Wherever Jesus went, the crowds assembled around him. People had heard about him. They wanted to be near him. They wanted to hear him. They wanted him to bring healing and deliverance into their lives. They wanted to touch him, and they wanted him to touch them. And that's where Zacchaeus enters the picture. Luke tells us he was a chief tax collector, he was rich, and he was small in stature. In other words, he he was a short guy, right? He was a small fella. And that, of course, is how he ended up in the tree. He wanted to see Jesus over the crowds. He wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus before he was gone forever. Now, what's amazing, I think, is that Luke tells us Jesus saw him. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place where Zacchaeus was up in the tree, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Now all the other people in the town saw only the external things about Zacchaeus, the obvious things. They saw that as a chief tax collector, he had collaborated with the hated Roman oppressors. 
They saw that he had gotten very wealthy in the process and often at their expense. They saw that Zacchaeus had achieved a level of success that they probably would not ever achieve. There's a reality of that as the people look at this man. But as Jesus sees Zacchaeus, he sees behind the mask that Zacchaeus was wearing, and he sees behind the kind of masks that so many of us wear also. He saw this isolated person that Zacchaeus had become. He saw a person who was inwardly desperate, even though outwardly it looked like he had it all together. And I want to tell you, he sees you too. He sees you too. He sees through the masks you wear, right? Those things that we do, those walls that we put up, those carefully crafted lives that we project to the world around us so that we will not be hurt, so that we will not be hurt. He sees through the habits that we find ourselves swallowed up by in order to drown out the pain that we have experienced. He sees behind the sins that we accumulate as we desperately try to get ahead in life. He sees behind all those things, all those things that others would look at, the compromises that you've made along the way, climbing to the top in any way you know how. He sees behind the sorrows that you have caused other people. And he sees behind the sorrows that have been caused to you by others. He sees it all. He understands what's happening in Zacchaeus' heart, and he understands what's happening in your heart and in my heart. And what was so shocking on that day in Jericho was that despite all of those things about Zacchaeus that put other people off, Jesus still welcomed him. I must go to your house today, Zacchaeus. I must go to your house today. I don't think Jesus said it like Eeyore. I must go to your house today, Zacchaeus. (laughs) And I don't think he said it in sort of this resignation of I'll do the right thing even though I don't want to. I must go to your house today, Zacchaeus. I must, even though it disgusts me. I think it was with an absolute joy and an abandon that Jesus said, I must go to your house today. Zacchaeus! Ah, there you are. I must go to your house today. There's a kind of joy in Jesus that I think probably came out towards Zacchaeus that day. And it caused all the people around him to grumble and to murmur because they were disgusted. They didn't like it. They couldn't stand it. There was the scandalousness of grace going on here. It was scandalous then, and grace is still scandalous now. But that's how grace rolls. That's the way it functions. You cannot achieve it. You do not deserve it. You just know it when you need it. You just know when you need it. You know when your life has gotten so broken to the point that unless grace comes, you're sunk. Unless God's heart is revealed to you, you're done. Ernest Hemingway told a story about a father in Spain who had a son by the name of Paco. 
and they had a really bad relationship. In fact, it got so bad that the son ended up leaving home. He fled. The father began after a while to realize his heart toward his son, and he began to search for him. Well, in kind of a self-hatred and a self-loathing, a kind of downward spiral that Paco found himself in because of his own guilt and his own shame, he wandered the streets of Madrid. And his father came searching for him. Paco had decided that he would become a bullfighter because bullfighters, especially the untrained ones, usually ended up dead. That's how low his heart had gotten. He just wanted to die. Was his father searching around through the streets of Madrid, he knew there's no way I'm going to find him. So he took out an ad in the paper in El Liberal, and the advertisement read, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. When the father showed up to the Hotel Montana, there were 800 Pacos there. And they were all waiting for the forgiveness they thought was impossible, but they knew they needed. Maybe you're like Paco. Maybe you're like Zacchaeus, desperately needing grace in your heart, in your life. What's so beautiful, I think, is when that grace comes, it always has an effect. And the effect is more than just a momentary uh, impulse or a momentary emotion. It did bring joy into Zacchaeus' life. He received him joyfully, the text says. But that's different from happy. Joy is something that continues on in his life. And the effect that that grace had in Zacchaeus in particular, it caused him to say, verse 8, Behold, Lord, there's a yielding of his life now to Jesus, a following of his life now of Jesus. Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. There's this exuberant display of grace that comes as a result of receiving grace. There's an exuberant display of generosity as a result of having received generosity. And what's so surprising as you read this is that Jesus didn't say, hey, that's a good idea, Zacchaeus. That's novel. What what a good thing. He said, today, salvation has come to this house. In other words, he's saying money is telling a story in your life. He's not saying Zacchaeus has purchased something from God. He's saying Zacchaeus has received something, and in the reception of that grace, it has an overflow effect. That's what salvation looks like. There's a willingness in Zacchaeus' life to let go of his stuff, to let go of his money for God's glory and for the good of others, a kind of cheerful eagerness. What story does money tell in your life? Have Have you framed it in those terms? Are you still striving after it like a Zacchaeus? Desperate to believe that with it you will have a certain level of security, a certain level of prominence, a certain level of hopefulness. 
Or are you recognizing it as a gift of God, just sheer grace, something that is given in order to willingly give back, to bless others and glorify God? It always tells a story in our lives because it's way more tangible than the thoughts we think. It's way more observable than the things we believe. It actually expresses what we have received from God. Does it shout like it did for Zacchaeus? Salvation has come to my house. And it doesn't just have to be money, by the way. Do your words to other people in your life shout, salvation has come to my house. I don't mean are you shouting at them. I mean are you expressing a kind of grace toward other people, a willingness to forgive those who have hurt you, a willingness to overlook some of the wrongs that have been done to you, even to forgive the deepest sorrows, the deepest pains that have been caused in your life, when you do that, salvation has come to this house. Right? That's because it looks like something. Grace always looks like something. And it shouts out loud both to God and to the world. You know what's so amazing is that Zacchaeus responded to Jesus only knowing a little piece of the story. And and we have the whole picture at this point. Because it wasn't just that Jesus was willing to be despised by the crowds in Jericho. They grumbled against him. They murmured against him. They said, how could this man go and eat in the house of a sinner? It wasn't just that he was willing to do that, to, to be identified with this guy. But not very long after this account encounter, Jesus was willing to go and die on a dung hill. That's what Calvary was. That's what Golgotha was, the place of the skull. It was the place where people left their waste, not only their trash, but their literal waste, a dung hill. That Jesus, who knew no sin, would become sin for those of us who have sin, and he would make us the very righteousness of God. That's grace. That's mind-bending. The one who was unblemished became mangled to meet us in our mangled conditions and our mangled lives so that we might be made whole again, so that you might be made whole and new and clean and forgiven. This is the the majesty of his grace. He's exposed. He is blasphemed. He was accursed so that we who are rightfully accursed, naked in our sin, could be clothed. So that you could be clothed. No longer ashamed. No longer under guilt. But fresh and new. And whole and pure in God's sight. I often allow my mind to wander to that hill when I'm in the quiet of my prayers. And not for a morbid sake, but but in a place of adoration, in a place of contemplation, in a place of being still before the Lord, that I might see that body mangled on the tree. Not because I like to look at it. My flesh does not want to look at it. I I much prefer the resurrected Jesus. But, But because I know that parts of me need to see that. Because as I see his body there on the tree, as I see him hanging there for me, as I see him, he always shows me his eyes. And in his eyes, I never see 
forsakenness. I never see get away from me. I always see invitation to love and the wonders of mercy and the incredible gift of grace. Our hearts are made for this. And they will always be restless, never settled, putting up walls and masks and carefully constructed lives until that grace settles in. Come back to the cross. Don't ever stray far from it. And and if this is new to you, plant yourself under that place where this beautiful Lord gave himself to show you just how far his love would go for you. And when that erupts in your life and that takes root within you, it'll shout. It'll pour out. It'll ooze from your very pores. It'll affect your time and your money and your stuff, and you'll, you won't be wondering in fear, have I given enough? Have I done enough? It's just like, I don't have to. I get to. I don't have to. I just get to. It's good news. Let's pray. Lord, would you let the joy of grace settle into our hearts? Would you let the amazing love you have for us deconstruct the stories we've tried to build for ourselves? Lord, let salvation come to our lives and our hearts and our words and even into our stuff. That that story that's told would be a story of unmerited grace. And the world would see it and go, that's what I've been looking for. And that's what I so desperately need. And that you would be glorified, Lord. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.